Hi, thanks for listening. In 20 seconds or less, I wanted to ask if you would consider supporting the show with a one-time donation of $1 to $3. The funds go to subscription fees, equipment upkeep, and a general sense of well-being. Links in the show notes. And again, thanks for listening. Okay, on with the show. Chapter 13 Beverly sat on the rock and hugged her knees. The day was nice, not hot, not too cool. The green trees and gray rocks were in sharp relief and seemed to reach for the sky, a sky so blue it almost hurt her eyes. In the valley below, they moved, an ebbing and flowing river of death that cascaded over the landscape and under the watchful eye of Jacob Miller. Like the horde moving through the canyon below, Beverly felt dead. They had set out to find a better place. The broadcast had seemed a beacon of hope for all of them, but now they were only two. Beverly thought the risk they had taken did not seem worth the cost, not by a long shot. Next to Jacob, Tommy played with the binoculars. He had not said a word since last night. Beverly knew he had shut down, that he wasn't processing. She hated Jacob, not for what he said, but for the way he said it. She remembered some of the training her husband had received from the police chaplain about how to break the news to families of the fallen. Telling someone their loved one was dead was like handing them a boulder. You did it slowly, passing it on with care and deliberation. It was good advice, and what she was trying to do with Tommy. What you didn't do was throw it at them. That would only crush them under the weight of it. What Jacob had done made her furious, made her want to get away from him. The fact that she felt trapped only added to her frustration. They couldn't strike out on their own. The threat was too real. She had tried to steal Jacob's jeep, but he had thwarted that, and probably would again. Then what, back to being zip-tied in the jeep, if they were lucky? She felt powerless, and it was a feeling she hated, almost as much as the emptiness that spread through her soul. Jacob said he was heading west, and he was, but all she could do was wait, while he tried to silence his own demons, one shot at a time. One of those shots rang out and scraped at her already raw nerves. She pulled her knees tighter as Tommy scanned the valley, trying to locate the fallen. "'Which one did you get, Sheriff Miller?' he said, keeping the binoculars pressed to his eyes. "'Tell me which one you are going for so I can see it.' Beside him, Jacob did not acknowledge Tommy. He put a line through a name, then went back to staring through the scope. Beverly watched her son lower the binoculars and look over at Jacob. When Jacob did not respond, Tommy went back to scanning the horde. Tommy, come over here. You don't need to see what's down there, she said. 
Tommy lowered the binoculars and looked at his mother, rolling his eyes. They're just zombies, Mom, he said, turning back to the valley. Beverly didn't have the strength to make her son obey her. The progress of the horde below seemed to match the slow march of the sun as it moved across the heavens. Still, all Beverly could do was wait. Wait and hope that what Tommy believed was true. The sun began its descent. The horde began to thin. Jacob had not taken another shot, and the intervening hours midst the warm breezes had eaten away at her resolve. Beverly lay on her back and dozed. It was not a shot from Jacob's rifle that brought her back, but the sharp intake of breath from Tommy. It was the sound a mother responds to, no matter how asleep she is. She opened her eyes and sat up. Looking over at Tommy, she saw that he was frozen still, seeming to stare at nothing, the binoculars forgotten, hanging loosely in his hands. For a moment she was not even sure of what she heard. She looked over at Jacob for some kind of confirmation, but he only stared through his scope and waited. Tommy was breathing. His breath was not the gentle respiration of a resting ten-year-old, but the rapid hyperventilation of someone afraid. Someone who was only just now realizing their life had come apart. She watched in rapt horror as Tommy shook, struggling to get the strap of the binoculars from around his neck. Tommy, baby! But her words cut short. Tommy freed himself from the strap and shoved the binoculars away. He got to his feet and turned, but did not come to her, did not look at her, did not see anything but some blinding vision below. She reached out for him as he passed her, but he broke from her grasp and ran. She jumped to her feet and pursued. She was afraid that Tommy had run into the woods, would keep running and become lost in the trees. She saw him and she stopped short. He was leaning against the side of the Cherokee, his face buried in the crook of his arm his moans too close to the sound in the valley. Approaching her son, she pulled him into an embrace. He did not resist, and she held him tight. Tell me what you saw, baby. What was in the valley? Tommy's breath came in gasps. He raised his head, and through his anguish bore witness to the awful truth he saw. Daddy wasn't lucky, Mom. My daddy wasn't lucky! Chapter 14 Night settled upon them, and no one spoke, each seeming to move in the solitude of their own mind. Beverly kept an eye on Tommy, but he would not look at her. When Jacob presented their cans of stew, he did not eat. Beverly, too, found that she had no appetite. Only Jacob ate, off to the side, by himself. When the time came for the nightly broadcast, Beverly had hoped it would be a brief respite from Tommy's emotional exile. It was not to be. Knowing that there was no chance his father would hear it, left Tommy disinterested in the prospect of a future that the messages offered. When it was too dark to do anything else, they tried to sleep, but sleep did not come. Tommy lay in his blanket, his back to her, she caressed his hair and tried to comfort him. She told him to close his eyes, but he would not. He kept them open, staring into the black void of the dark night. 
the next morning, Beverly was on a mission. She had resolved she would do what she must to get Jacob to take them to Colorado. When she woke and saw that Tommy had not moved, only continued to stare out into nothing, she knew that they must get off the road, away from the endless pursuit of death. If Tommy was going to have any chance at all, it would have to be in a place where there was some hope for the future, not out here trying to silence the past. To that end, she was willing to beg. Please, I know that what you're doing, that your work is important to you, but I must get my son to Colorado. He can't be out here, surrounded by all... all of this. Jacob, who had his back to Beverly and was checking his gear in the Cherokee, turned and faced her. His face showed his struggle between what she was asking and what he surely felt compelled to do. He opened his mouth to speak, but was silenced by the soft, insistent voice of Tommy. We can't go to Colorado. Not until we free my dad. Jacob looked up and Beverly turned, both fixing their gaze on the small figure standing before them. That's what you are doing, isn't it, Sheriff Miller? Freeing them? Making it so that they aren't zombies anymore? Tommy said. Beverly's heart was breaking. She had to get Tommy somewhere stable. It wasn't only the road, it was Jacob. He was a man trapped in his own hellish misery. He felt compelled to cling to the dead, to devote himself to them. Maybe out of guilt, she wasn't sure. What she was sure of was that she could not allow her son to sink into that morass. But as she stood looking into the pleading eyes of her son, she knew that the decision was taken out of her hands. Jacob's words only highlighted her futility. The next vantage point is four hours. We leave in ten minutes. Tommy turned and began to roll his sleeping bag. It was Jacob's least favored vantage point. The window of opportunity was small on account of the town. Perched on a spot high above in the hills, he set up and settled in. The spot overlooked a two-lane road that led into Centerville Township. The horde was funneled into the road which ran between a series of hills. Between the hills was nestled the town. Behind him, a railroad track curved into the distance, then swung back through the town. As the horde would pass, he had just a scant few minutes to locate his target before they would become obstructed by houses, buildings, and interlacing streets. Jacob lay prostrate, his rifle in position, scope on the road. Beside him, his ledger was open to the back page. A blank page. A pen rested there. Without taking his eye from the scope, he gave Tommy instructions. Write your father's name on the page. It's important that you do it, that you have a record, so that later you will know and have no doubt. Tommy took his eyes from the binoculars and looked at Jacob. Jacob broke from the scope for only a second a nod to the boy. He looked to Beverly. She stood, her back to them, her arms wrapped around her, staring down the tracks. Tommy reached over and took the pen in his hand. At the top of the page, slow and careful, he wrote, Officer Mark Sanders. Looking at the name for several seconds, he made a decision. Next to the name, 
he wrote, My dad. He placed the pen back on the page and slid the book over to Jacob. He picked up the binoculars and together with Jacob began an unflinching vigil on the stretch of road leading into town. The horde appeared an hour later. It covered the width of the road. Those on the extreme edges collided and careened off the steep embankments of the hills on either side. Some stumbled and fell in gullies, only to rise and shuffle forward. Call out to me when you see him, Jacob said. I will, Tommy said. The day wore on and Jacob had taken two shots. Two more names from his own book. Always Jacob flipped back to the last page. The name Officer Mark Sanders, uncrossed. Finally, the rear guard of the horde began to appear. Stragglers, made so by the marks of their initiation, too damaged and worn down by the constant friction of decaying flesh and asphalt. Still Tommy scanned, his hopes sinking even as cold panic began to rise, that he might not see his father, might not be given the opportunity to sing out, might not get to free his father from the walking death. His own mind and body began to become an enemy. Having kept focus for so many hours, he grew tired. His eyes played tricks on him. Was that him? No. Wrong color shirt. What about him? No. My dad never wore those pants. Tommy lowered the binoculars for just a second, rubbed his dry, weary eyes. Beside him, unflinching, Jacob gave his warning. Keep your vigil. Tommy placed the binoculars back to his eyes and scanned. He moved down the road and followed a small pack. No. 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 Wait! There! Tommy got to his knees and leaned forward as if a couple more inches would give him a better view. There he is! There he is, Sheriff Miller! There's my dad! He said. Beside him, Jacob was calm. Describe him. What is he wearing? He said. The red t-shirt and cargo pants! There! Turning to look at his mother, he continued to point. There, Mom! Dad is there! He said. Beverly clung to herself even tighter and turned towards them. She waited for the shot to ring out, the shot that would release her husband from a walking nightmare and her son from death's hold, the shot that would allow them both to move on. The seconds ticked by, and no shot came. Beside Jacob, Tommy lowered the binoculars. He began to holler. You missed him! You didn't free him! My dad! His mother grabbed him, pulled him to her. He did not resist. He embraced her, held her as tightly as she held him. With his face buried in her side, he wept. Across from her, Jacob calmly rose. The movement made Tommy look. He watched as Jacob walked to the rear of the Cherokee, broke down his rifle, and stowed it. Retrieving his body armor, he began to strap it on. Bracers, vest, leather jacket, fingerless gloves, shin guards, and knee pads. Tommy pulled away from his mother and approached. Where are you going? he said. Jacob did not look over at him. He offered no answer. He grabbed his Ruger and screwed on the suppressor. Laying it on the tailgate, he retrieved four magazines and began to stuff them into the pockets of his leather jacket. Seeming satisfied, 
he grabbed a full-face black motorcycle helmet and put it on. Leaning into the jeep, he grabbed two final items. A bottle and a coil of rope with wooden handles affixed to either end. This he put his arm through and hung off his shoulder. The label on the bottle read, Dear Urine Spray. He applied it liberally over all of his clothes. Without saying a word, he tossed the bottle in the back of the jeep. He went to the driver's side and pulled the keys from the ignition. Tommy watched him. He approached and held out the keys to his mother. If I don't come back, he said. She reached up and took the keys. Before either could say a word, Jacob flipped the dark face shield of the helmet closed, turned, and started down the tracks towards Centerville.